0: Folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomass. We're on episode 199, getting real close to the big 200. And uh, we've got some some good stuff going on this week. We've got a couple guests, we'll introduce them in a second, and some really interesting topics that we kind of lined up last week. So, without much further ado, let's get started with an introduction, starting at the top of the list with sarai Zell. Hi, I'm
1: Soraya Zell. I am a co host here on the show. Um, I've been a co host on the show for now 199 episodes. Um, Nobody else can actually say that because everybody else has missed at least one episode, and somehow I still haven't. So there we go.
0: Touche. Yeah, yeah. No, he's been very dedicated and pretty much keeps the whole thing running whether we're here or not. All right, Jay, you're up, man. Well, the first thing
2: I'll say, I got, I got 199 problems, but, uh, but Zell ain't one. <laughs> so. uh no, my name is Jason. I'm also one of the uh, co-hosts here on Biomass from uh, back in the way back uh, with me and Pokey and Zell. Uh, I, I have not done this 199 times uh, for the record. Uh, I I have had paid vacations from Uncle Sam, which I, I do not count that as actually missing the show, although I have missed a show on occasion. So other than that, uh, the only thing I got for 199 is it's my favorite number before 200.
0: All right. And uh, we have a returning guest who is actually here from last week. Uh, Nomex, do you want to introduce yourself?
3: Sure. My name's Nomex Gallatin. I am an uh, old school gamer. I really started getting into gaming again through a series of uh, fortunate events that got me into uh, games with uh, Jason and Pokey, uh, Dust514 most notably. I started direct action resources from there. I was a C, and through my work with Pokey and Jason, uh, came up with some really uh, good things that we've pushed forward as far as training uh, material for people, and uh, I'm an occasional uh, guest on the show, and I'm happy to be here again.
0: Fantastic. Good to have you back. And coming with Nomex this week is actually uh, someone he works with as well. Um, Bill, do you want to introduce yourself?
4: Yeah. Yeah, Bill Talon. I'm uh, an old associate of Ron's, and uh, we, uh, we met back in... Uh, Back in the old days, back in 2000, but but I'm gonna I'm gonna take the title from him of old school gamer because I came up uh, with uh, you know analog paper war games in the 1960s, 1970s, and then moved into a career in uh, a department of the federal government where I was pushing gaming applications uh, for for years and years, and and you know finally made a little bit of headway uh, just before I retired. But uh, I've been in the gaming universe for a lot of years, and and uh, kind of came on tonight to talk about some of those applications outside of. Uh, outside of recreation.
0: Sounds good, I think it's a really good topic and I'm looking forward to it. So uh, I'm Draven, obviously, I uh, help host this show. I do the Dungeon Crawl series on YouTube with uh, one of our other hosts that comes up every once in a while, Livy. And uh, yeah, so I think we're all glad to be here. And uh, this show is probably going to be a slightly different format than what you're all used to. We're going to probably open it up with some real short points of just um, you know more recent news for games and movies, that sort of thing. Uh, but we are going to have a pretty large chunk in the latter half of the show to discuss a specific topic, which is why Nomex and Bill are here today. So... Without much further ado, let's get started with some uh, news about uh, Avengers Infinity War. Zell, I think you brought this one to my attention, um, a lot of these finer details, and so I'm going to hand it off to you. What's going on with this one, the most recent trailer? Uh,
1: So uh, this is kind of the the big full trailer. Um, They go into uh, a lot more of a a little bit of like uh, one of the, I guess, distinctions is that Thanos wants to destroy half of everything, not everything, everything um but uh there's a there's a full trailer that'll be in the show notes uh but then the other thing that they they revealed was the official movie poster and i I just wanted to comment on this poster because i thought it was uh a little on the the side of insane um they have uh, at the top you know where you'll usually have like the the three or four star you know actors there are there are two rows with uh, a, a total I think about twenty names. This movie is uh, starring Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Benedict Cumberbatch, Don Cheadle, Tom Holland, Chadwick Boseman, Paul Bettany, Elizabeth Olsen, Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, Denai Guerrera, Letitia Wright, Dave Bautista, Zoe Saldana, Josh Brolin, and Chris Pratt, and then. At the bottom, you know, they have the whole the whole little fine print for the movie. They also mention there: Idris Elba, Peter Dinklage, Benedict Wong, Tom Clementioff, Karen Gillian, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Benicio del Toro.
2: That's legit. <laughs>
1: on, on <one laughs> That's
2: Paltrow most of an awards show in some point somewhere is, else.
1: <laughs> is that many names? Um, and then uh, the particular kind of highlight. Uh, Point that I wanted to mention is that one of those names that's in here is uh, Peter Dinklage, who they have not yet said who he is playing in uh, the MCU. Um, but he is—he's kind of the one, uh, the one kind of re- unknown right now in terms of everybody I, else's. Ben I in the heard,
2: movie. I heard. Now I've got a source. I—I I, I think this is potentially two to three percent true that he's going to be the next Hawkeye because Jeremy Renner's name is suspiciously absent from that long and lustrous list you just read.
1: The. Uh, yeah, his is his is missing. But I, I mean, I also heard um, I want to say that I heard that Samuel Jackson appears in this briefly, but he's not listed. And then the other one who doesn't get a, a mention at all, which is kind of surprising because he is an Avenger and has a movie like two months apart from it. Paul Rudd's not on here at all.
0: Ah, okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I the Peter Dinklage one caught my eye. I was like, whoa, that's I haven't heard anything about that. So I'll be curious to see uh, what he's actually doing since you know he's been kind of big lately.
1: And uh, I, I just one of the things from the trailer I, I really loved is there's this thing where where Thanos is like looking at, at Iron Man. He's like, you know, his, his I'm going to kill you statement is, I hope they remember you, which is is kind of fantastic.
0: Yeah, that was pretty cool. I like that. Uh, it should be an interesting character. I think it's going to be a, a pretty good flick. We'll have to see how it comes. When is that coming out, cell? Do you have a...
1: Uh, that is, I believe, like April twenty seventh. It it was in May, and it was the whole thing. They bumped it forward yep. a week, and it fell You're into right. April. So it's it's April like right 27th. at the end of April.
0: Not bad, not bad. Looking forward to it. Okay, so that sounds good. Uh, now, one film that I'm actually not familiar with, and you you might be better with it. Zell is uh, Fantastic Beasts, and this is kind of the spinoff flicks from the Harry Potter series. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So this is a you know kind of prequel side story thing that. You know, was originally like one movie based on like a, a a thirty or forty page kids book that has turned into a a new multi movie franchise, um because of course it has, uh and this is this is the second movie so this is uh, Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald, uh and they released the the trailer for that, and uh the thing that I thought was very very uh interesting is that uh, for a movie that is titled The Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, Grindelwald is not in this trailer for more than three, four seconds at most. Um, And that's because Grindelwald is Johnny Depp. And I don't think their PR department wants to remind you that they decided to uh, keep Johnny
2: Depp uh, in the movie after his allegations yeah. and, and, and stuff. Colin Farrell, who did a great job in the last movie, by the way.
0: <laughs> See, I never actually saw the first Fantastic thought- Beasts film. Was that good?
1: Johnny it- Depp. Johnny Depp was in that movie.
2: He he was for about the last 90 seconds of it. So throughout the entire movie, Colin Farrell played the character. And then there was, it was sort of like the magic mask thing where at the very end, you you find out that, that that he's Grindelwald and he changes into Johnny Depp's face literally at the last minute of the movie. Um, the, the, like I thought that was going to be suspect then when that happened. I was like, he's kind of too shady and sketchy for a, effectively like a kid's Kind of a kid series, and even like Pirates of the Caribbean, he was kind of just a little bit out there, but towards the end anyway, it was. But with the all of the you know, hashtag me too type stuff going on in Hollywood, and he got wrapped up in several of that, and he's had some other interesting brushes uh, here recently. I, I, like, I've heard more than one person say, you know, they could have just like let Colin Farrell just keep that role and it would have been okay. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I mean, that's did the first one sell well? Was that was that really popular? I don't I, mean,
2: I, don't, I really don't know. I, I really I could not tell you what its uh, what its actual commercial impact was, but it was it was it was it was okay. I mean, it was relatively well done. Uh, definitely, definitely a different, different set of characters, which is kind of interesting. Eddie Redmayne's a really good actor, uh, so he helped carry it a little bit. Um, I I think you. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. You get Jude Law's coming in the next one so that they're getting some top flight actors which will generally give you good performances but who knows what the story is because you're you're going well beyond any anything that that was in a like a uh, a harry potter book at this point
0: yeah yeah, and i hear you yeah it looks like this one's coming out uh november 16th this year so it's still a ways off but uh i think it's cool they're expanding upon this universe it's got a lot of a lot of material to work with and it'd be a shame if they just stopped at you know the seven films so it's a uh, it's good to see they're moving forward with this and so one more that i wanted to cover is of course ready player one got another trailer uh, about two minutes long um i'm not going to go too de- in depth into what was included in this just because it's a lot of footage we've seen before but you see a couple new things like you know this like vr treadmill and that sort of thing that he's the, the characters walking on and it's it's just you know I, I go check it out there'll be a link in the description but uh you know, I think that this one is, is pretty solid. Now, I think that a note that uh, Zell left here is that apparently they couldn't get the rights to use Star Wars because I guess an X-Wing is a pretty big part of the original book. Uh, and it's very much absent from all of these trailers we've seen so far, which doesn't surprise me considering how, you know, tight-fisted Disney is about their IPs. So I, I'm i not surprised by the lack of Star Wars references, but uh, just something of note there.
1: And there is some Disney IP in there, isn't there? Is there, there are, yeah. Yeah, it's just it. Star Wars was like the one. It was yeah. it was a note in one of the interviews. They're like the one thing we couldn't get that we wanted was Star Wars, and 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 it it didn't happen. So, yeah, just I mean, if, interesting if Lucas,
0: note. If Lucas still had it and he wasn't doing anything with it, they probably could have been able to. But since Star Wars is you know um, hot right now, they're not actually
2: gonna... Spielberg. I, I didn't. I wasn't able to see it, but Spielberg actually addressed it fairly directly. Because I mean, because he's he's got some stroke in this, Uh and. It was basically something something along the fact with something it was something about it being in that they were still using those characters in a certain way that they didn't that they did not want to like use like the really iconic ones they were gonna let him use other parts of Star Wars apparently, but it just didn't work out. It was not necessarily a you know the mouse house you know keeping their keeping their hands around their their big puffy white white three three finger glow <laughs> around the you know the the property so to speak speak of the devil it pops up on
0: my facebook there you uh-huh. go it's because facebook is listening <laughs> yeah that's uh, probably
2: truer than you think too by the way <laughs>
0: oh my gosh um so yeah uh, i i check out the trailer it's good stuff i'm looking forward to this one And it looks like uh, let me see here
1: that's um march 29th march, if that's what you're looking at
0: March. yeah okay so it's coming up we're close here real close i'm looking forward to it so we'll actually be probably reviewing that in a couple weeks here so should be
1: good, and uh, hopefully I'll get out to see Tomb Raider sometime. I've heard it is uh, oh, mediocre, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, mm.
1: but it is out. I've heard that it is it is not bad, uh, and that the the main uh, the main actress is is good at the role, but that the story is kind of eh. Which honestly, that's probably like a a five star rating for a video game movie. So you know.
0: Yeah. Good to know. Yeah, let, let me know. Let me know what you think of that one because I'm kind of curious to see how they're. You know, I'm always interested to see theatrical adaptations and, and how they take it, especially with one that they've done multiples of with different types of that character. So it should be interesting. Uh, but going back to Star Wars, one thing I did want to mention real quick uh, before we kind of go into our main discussion here. So Star Wars Battlefront 2 has been a, a really, really hot point of discussion uh, specifically regarding the concept of loot boxes and randomized premium rewards for, for purchasing purchasing things in-game. So um, if you've been at all paying attention to you know what's been going on in, in the sphere of video games, you've probably heard at least once or twice about this controversy and how... The system was incredibly built around kind of a pay-to-win system where, you know, the more you purchased um, with cash, the higher you had, you know, higher stats and bonuses you would get in the game. And a lot of the progression was basically built very, very heavily around this kind of pay-to-win system. So their response after the initial outcry was to just remove all microtransactions, but did leave the stipulation that they will be coming back eventually. We just got to figure out how we want to do it. So the news is, is that this... Uh, microtransactions are back in Star Wars Battlefront 2, or will be at least in the April update, so in you know maybe a, a handful of weeks here. Uh, so kind of brief breakdown. The pay-to-win system has be completely removed. Um, no longer do you get these star cards, which are basically what you would use to level up your characters through loot crates, um, and you cannot buy them. So it kind of approaches more like a traditional skill-based system. You play, you get skill points, you spend them on these cards to upgrade them, You know, so kind of what you're used to in pretty much any game that's, you know, legitimate there. Um, The loot crates are earned through gameplay only. They no longer provide any benefit to, you know, your star cards or your ability to progress. It's only credits and cosmetics. And then for the microtransaction portion, if you want to buy specific cosmetics, you can either use the credits that you earn through gameplay or through these loot crates. Uh, or crystals, which I guess are kind of the premium currency. So it's it's gone back to a you can purchase specific cosmetics with you know with real world cash, and that's it. And then the progression has been moved entirely back to you know merit based while you're playing the game and you progress that way. So they've actually kind of moved it back to like the way a game should be, um, rather than you know this very heavy handed pay to win system. So you know it's good to see this, but what do you guys think? Do you think it's kind of too too little too late for this. I think that the the this t- game has been so soiled with this controversy that I don't think that even going to a system that's you know reasonable like this is going to actually save them.
2: Yeah, I I don't think I don't think there's anything that uh, EA is going to be able to do to salvage where that game's at. I mean, th- at, looking at so Forbes actually follows the gaming industry you know, rel you know, relatively well, kind of surprisingly, and they were throwing around some numbers that the The total net cost to EA was potentially around maybe three billion when it was all said and done. You know when when they chart over the the lifestyle, the life of a game like this does that's kind of designed to have a shelf life of probably three three to five years of actually some form of revenue and all this other kind of stuff. their Their performance was so low, coming out of the gate, mostly marred by, uh, this loot box system, which right now is getting a lot of legal action in different states around the United States and in different countries, uh, particularly in Europe, uh, there's a lot of blowback to this. And, and I still stand by my comment that if it was anybody but EA, one of the biggest game game producers in the world, and two, Star Wars, probably the largest IP in the world, uh, so to speak. If it had not, if it hit anything below that threshold, it would have been like nobody would have paid that much of attention to it, but because it did, and it was right kind of before Christmas and there was a lot of things going on. And then actually when Disney, uh, when Disney got a hold of, of them and said, you need to cease and desist with that's effectively what the real trigger was. Um, and that's very widely reported right now that, you know, EA directly, you know, intervened and said, you need to to put this on timeout, we're about to release a movie. Um, and they did. So the game itself, again, does it deserve like the horrible reputation that it's probably gotten? Not necessarily. It's not all, it, there's a lot of problems and it. it's not great, but it, it does a lot of good things. It's, it can be enjoyable. There's things you can get out of it. But the reality is, I think the game is just way, way too far gone right now. And I don't think anything they're going to do is, is going to, I think they're just really just slapping a tourniquet on and they're just hoping to, to let this thing go uh, for a little bit and make a little bit of money out of it. And at some point they're going to, it's going to be a wash. Uh, that's, that's kind of where I see it right now. And now the interesting thing though, is you see a lot of other major manufacturers that really took a hint and said, we need to back away from the loot crate idea. So the loot crate concept is literally, it's like a video slot machine. You pay real money for a fake currency. So, you know, like, you know, crystals or star gold or whatever, you're paying real money for X amount of units of that. You take that that money or you know that those in-game credits that you bought with real money and apply them to these loot boxes and you get, you know, however many loot boxes for $5, five, ten, twenty, thirty, a hundred bucks to get any number of different things. So that system right now is definitely under under assault and i think a lot of a lot of games right now are really looking at what happened to ea and particularly their their final announcement that they're going away from loot boxes and a pay-to-win system you know pay to win
0: yeah no i think i I agree with you jay i think that it's pretty much uh (laughs) they're not going to come back from this and it's basically just kind of final damage control just go okay yeah we're back to something reasonable and we'll just see how long we can ride this out before you know the whole thing you know finally fizzles out and the ea will hopefully learn a lesson from this but you know who knows we'll have to see what they come out with next they've got a couple games in the lineup that you know we'll get to see kind of how their opinion of it is uh, i think that uh, keeping an eye on anthem is going to be really interesting um given how that has been having some development issues if you you know believe the reports coming out of the studio so you know how they handle that one and how that one does i think will be pretty indicative of how ea plans to move forward uh, with future titles okay so um, I think we're going to move into kind of our primary topic here, uh, and so what how, how this came about is that last week, Bate was talking about uh, Assassin's Creed origins, and this is kind of the ancient Egypt uh, setting for Assassin's Creed, and he was commenting that they had added this discovery mode, and so you know assassin's creed is typically a big open world game and you run around and they're typically based off of real world um, environments like assassin's creed 2 is based off of you know rome and you could actually go around kind of a simplified scaled down version of rome but it was based off of like an actual you know actual location and they sent the team out there to get photos and it's it's actually fairly well accurate, even if it is effectively smaller than the real city of Rome. So in Origins, it's in Egypt, and they released this discovery mode where it kind of strips out all of the gameplay elements, but it takes you on various tours and lets you explore kind of each of the locales that are indeed based off of, you know, real life locations. And it teaches you about ancient Egypt. And basically, you know, this was, you know, the Great Pyramid, and then this, you know, this city was that, and this river is this. Um, and it was it, it sounded fascinating because it, I, i've always thought that the assassin's creed series had a really great opportunity to be a, an interesting way to tell a lot of history through the gameplay itself and i i know that for myself when i was playing the like assassin's creed 2 i learned way more about you know italy than i ever thought i would and i did it very organically through playing a game so it wasn't just like i'm sitting down watching a video about you know italy I'm playing a game but actually getting valuable accurate information in the process. So in in you know thinking about that, we thought, hey, it'd be interesting to have a big discussion about how video games or concepts that are used in video games can basically be applied to uh, education or training or you know other places besides sitting on your couch and and you know playing a game. so, uh, that's why we kind of brought Nobex and Bill back because uh, their group works a lot with using gaming for you know the purposes of training. I know that Jason has had a lot of experience um, using gaming or gaming concepts in training. And myself, I've actually used uh, recently some game concepts in um, my workplace because I'm a manager and I've been using some ideas just trying it out to see how it would help motivate people with some interesting results. So, this is kind of going to be a big roundtable discussion about you know how you have used you know gaming and the comps behind it in other applications. So, um, who would like to go first? I think you both both of our groups here have some really interesting uh, insight to this. So, uh, Jason, are you you want to start us off here? Ah, uh,
2: sure. Yeah, but. Sorry, sorry about that. The uh, magic of Skype sort of bounced me out there for a minute. Um, as kind of Pokey alluded to, I'm, I'm definitely no stranger to using what we would, you know, kind of in the in the broad sense term as gaming as a form of education or training. That's actually a big part of what, what I kind of do during my day job. So, uh, or it can be anyway on occasion. So the, the things that I have seen uh, predominantly, you know, you know, definitely no secret. I'm a, an active-duty military officer, so I w- we tend to use a lot of gaming systems, and there's any number of them. I've mentioned on the show that there's a thing called VBS3 Virtual Battle uh, Battlefield System Version Three. Uh, it's basically ARMA. Which is a very well-known PC gaming uh, mechanism uh, for FPS gaming mechanism, and we use that to to train some basic tactics and and really communication skills and some planning skills and things like that. Uh, kind of at the small unit level, that's a very that that's been around for a long time. We actually have a system where we will let uh, army members download it for free. They can sort of you know play it as they will, and then when you when you actually bring them in for formal training. Uh, it, it's, it's a, you know, they're much more familiar with just how to navigate through the system and use, use tools in it. Uh, we also, as you can imagine for pretty much any combat vehicle, you have a simulator system. So aircraft, most people realize there's thing called a flight simulator. There's aircraft simulators you get in, you know big mock-up where you like fly the helicopter fly the jet that kind of stuff we also have those for tanks and for other ty- types of combat vehicles that work eff- effectively the same lo- same way it's basically the the crew compartment of a of a tank so to speak uh, and then it hooks itself into a very realistic gaming system effectively that's networked with numerous other uh, other modules, so to speak. And you can also connect VBS3 to this. So you can have dismounted soldiers uh, that are operating almost like first person shooter style with crews that are in combat vehicles and combat aircraft that are all in the same simulated, you know, or virtual environment. Uh, that is a very common thing that you can use uh, in terms of how the military applies it. There's bigger applications uh, in terms of what most of you would consider almost uh from the outset like an rts game like a real-time strategy game where it's moving huge units around like you know battalions and brigades like you know hundreds and you know hundreds of people or thousands of people not hundreds of thousands it's literally just it's kind of the two scales you use you know it, it's you know those things are really designed to train uh what we call command and control or mission command it's kind of the you know they're two separate terms but they kind of mean the same thing how do you run a fight how do you run all your communication and digital systems that effectively let you fight a battle or deal with a, a given tactical scenario with a very large unit, which is extraordinarily expensive to take to the field and and actually train live. So those are all, all the techniques that, that you see in the Army. There's also, uh, you know, good old-fashioned analog gaming. Uh, you, you There's a war gaming system that's actually part of uh, our formal planning processes. That's where you use to test things out and, uh, try to understand how well synchronized your plan or your operation is. We use it not just for training, but we also use it to rehearse live missions that we're going to actually go do. Uh, th- these are any number of things where gaming can have very direct applications in the military. And, th- and there's a ton more. Uh, and you know, Bill and I, before the show, we're kicking some of these ideas around. It's uh, and It'll be fascinating to kind of hear him, him talk about it here in a minute, because he's got... Uh, You know a a different perspective than i do in terms of how how he kind of grew up in that world Um, other things and it's not just the military that's just the one that i i happen to to kind of be the most familiar with uh but i am very very well versed in a lot of the ways that we use gaming systems or in virtual learning systems in the education world like actual like either adult education or really in youth education like you know kids and in particular, special education. There's a, any number of different things that you can, if you just, if you have a tablet and you just look up uh, like learning games or learning apps. Most of them, effectively, you know, you you look up the word "learning app" for a kid. The vast majority of them look very much like a game. They are presented as a game, uh, with, you know, in terms of how they communicate to the kid, or really how they're getting them to engage with the system. So that's not that's not a shocker. In terms of how that works, uh, there's all kinds of applications in terms of how you train people for specific pieces of equipment or procedures. It is starting to become more more common in uh, medical practice, particularly particularly in surgical practices, where they use uh, basically simulator systems to train people how to do certain very specific types of procedures or to train them to use uh, computer-assisted surgical Uh, surgical apparatus. So there's a thousand and one ways you can use this. In the corporate world, there's all kinds of gaming techniques that are used as normal part of your corporate training. Uh, And they could be problem. You'll see a lot of them in HR departments mostly because it's really about how you teach people to deal with human interaction. So you basically give them an almost an improv or an ad lib scenario with a very set set of rules you have to deal with. uh, And then you, once you're presented a situation, you have to solve a problem either individually or often a group. Uh, and those are all gaming techniques. They're just either analog or digital. So broadly, it, it just it was a great idea by Pokey, I think, the other, other week. is like, you know, there's a lot of these concepts of gaming that are out there, but they're not just for enjoyment, but there's a lot of other intrinsic value you can get out of them in terms of what you can learn from them. Uh, and it's also starting, like I said, you know, prior to the show, It's it's starting to come a little bit to the forefront again, where there's... There's always going to be some negative con—not th- always, but I think right now there's still some negative connotations to the con to the word gaming. So, for example, the Army, we used to have this thing called LVCG—live, virtual, constructive, and gaming. Those were the training domains that we would use. Right? Live means people running around out in the woods or out in a in an urban environment, actually training. Uh, virtual is predominantly anything I was describing earlier, you're doing it virtually. Then there was a constructive sense. That's more almost like the analog, or you're trying to replicate a function or a system to stimulate people for training. And then there was gaming. they th- That always threw people off because you know a lot of the old guys in the army did not like the word gaming because it, it didn't sound serious enough. So they basically, all those functions are now just held under virtual and constructive now. But it's still gaming effectively. So these things are out there. Um, and we just thought it'd be kind of neat to, to look at it from not just a raw consumer standpoint, you know, in terms of like, wow, I really enjoyed this game uh, just for the intrinsic value, much like you would a book or a movie from an entertainment perspective, but how these things are used out there uh, in a positive sense and where there might be some issues uh, that we may want to deal with them as well. So that, I think that'd be my, my kind of opening salvo for the discussion.
4: I could, uh, this is bill. I could jump in on that. Um, yeah, yeah, there's something, some Jason said that, that is, is, is real pertinent here. There are, there are parts of that professional community out there that, that have not had that resistance to gaming applications. I, I spent back in 2007, I was out at the Naval War College in Rhode Island. Those guys out there, um, they've been pushing ship models around on the floor of the gymnasium since 1887. Um, you know, they're, probably the first professional users of, of, of wargaming in, in, in the whole American community. I mean, of course, you know, Germans had, had started that a, a bit before, uh, before they did. But, you know, on that side, in that part of the professional community, they've understood the applications of, of wargaming, and they're not shy to use the term. And it's been, um, it's been hugely valuable for those guys for a really, really long time. But I know I ran into the same resistance on the civilian side of the government, Jason talks about in the army uh, because when I came into that organization with a with a long background of hobby war gaming and, and a real appreciation of the the efficiency that you could get uh, training concepts and tactical thinking um, the very word gaming had people you know making the sign of the cross and backing slowly away from you because they didn't want any part of it they didn't didn't see any value to it um, but uh, and, and it was a long struggle to get that piece of our community to recognize the value of it, but we, we did make some progress finally. And, and there, it, it was interesting that over the years, we found that what worked best from a training standpoint in our organization were actually various forms of analog systems. It was the, the Tactical Decision Game, or TDG, that the Marine Corps um, developed and popularized back in the 90s. Which is basically just a seminar-style war game where you get a you know a dozen people sitting around in a classroom or, or anywhere, um, and you and you throw a tactical problem at them. I mean, you can you can you can draw draw a diagram in the sand with a stick, or you can have a PowerPoint slide. It it doesn't really matter what you have, but you present them with a tactical situation, and then you ask people to come up with solutions to the problem you give them. And it, the the most effective part of it is that you got a group of people all together, and you so you have a peer group. Um, who confront these issues in their professional lives on a regular basis. And so you get a, you get a, a real interesting interaction between guys that are involved in this. Uh, and a whole lot of learning goes on for a very, very low investment of, of, of time and resources. And that works really well. And, and that we got instituted finally in our organization. But the, the digital systems for years and years were only used not for training, but for validations. And, and vulnerability assessments and that and, and, and analytical purposes and that was a uh, that was a very problematic deal because there there are there are processes and outcomes that you can accept in a game because you don't expect a game to be a, a close simulation of reality you you know you accept all sorts of compromises there but when you're using it to evaluate a critical system um, your standards become very different and uh, the government tried to apply some of the the systems that Jason remembers from the military side, um, they tried to adapt them down to the small unit tactical scale that we were working on and use them to validate our systems and, and, and our tactics and drive procurement and drive the entire system. And uh, it became very, very problematic because they were trying to pound square pegs into round holes and use systems that were never designed for that purpose. So uh, that, was a, that was an ongoing struggle, and I don't know that they're out of the woods yet on that one.
2: Yeah, no. And I I think that's so uh, just for a little bit of Bill's background, just uh, he he has not a dissimilar background from uh, myself or or Nomex uh, in that we probably worked in some some capacity for uh, the United States government in for quite some time. Uh, but he and I were kind of joking about this. And uh, it, again, it's it's sort of games have always been around. So there's the Avalon Hill games, which he and I were actually having some reminiscing about, like the old tabletop games. That's the analog version of gaming, which is quite prevalent around there, You know, not just the military, but really that's really what most people will use outside of a very specific training simulation or training tool uh, that you might get. Because that's what you'll get um, when you are, for example, uh, working in an HR class or you're working in a, an educational role, even outside, even just outside of the military. It's very common to do kind of what he was describing. And, it, you know, we have a very formalistic way of doing it and a very uh, curated way of doing it, you know, in the government, uh, particularly in DOD. But there is a lot of ways you can do it in very free form in terms of how do you get people interested in in learning. And then to, that's the hook is really the game is the hook. And you're trying to deliver a specific objective to them or, or really lead them to a specific objective, learning objective or, or a training objective. So those things are out there. And, uh, you, you know, I would just kind of offer that. There's the digital world and there's the analog world. And but when it really gets down to it, there's any number of games that are out there that you can figure out and how to you know, you figure out how you want to use. And really got to understand what you're trying to get out of it. Uh, I now I'm kind of curious for uh, Poke and Zell since you guys have kind of a very different sort of background in your in your work. Do you guys use any sort of uh, digital training tools or anything like that for either, court, you know quarterly. Uh, quarterly training you have to do or anything like that, either HR or actual technically related, anything that's specific to your your kind of day job careers?
0: Uh, to be honest, not really, simply because our company hasn't quite gotten to that point yet. Um, it's something that we're starting to implement and, and, and push forward with, which is why I'm, I've taken a pretty deep interest in this sort of things. But uh, for what's been a- actually implemented right now, uh, I have to say not much.
2: Gotcha, Zell?
1: Yeah, no, not really. Um... You know we it's i you know i work in it so it's it's all you know cables and switches and boxes we've got you know there there is kind of some neat like from a networking standpoint there there are like network simulators where you can go in and you can assemble boxes of network equipment you don't have and and see what happens hmm. um but uh that's about
2: it yeah that, that kind of makes sense uh one of the things that, that uh, the united that the government's really fond of is uh any of the sort of like cyclic training environments, the training systems, you have to do, like, you know, your uh, your Internet security class that you have to do once a year to make sure you can maintain a government email. You know, it's all things like, you know, please don't give the Russians your like your your password kind of shit. It's, it's literally that simple. But it's, it's this really ham handed sort of digital presentation. It's like a walking simulator. Uh, it's it's infamous. Infamous throughout the military, there's blogs and memes about it everywhere. So effectively, you take on the role of a new a new worker in this office building, and you like you're navigating your way around your desk and in your office, and you're presented all these different things like, hey, would you like to download, you know, all this music from my S Pod, you know, or some shit like that, like under your under your computer, and it's asking, it's basically trying to get you down the, you know, work through, I think twenty some different modules of. Do you know how not to be stupid on a computer? That's a, that's effectively what the training is, but you got to do it every year. Uh, and you know that's a that to me would be a bad example of gaming because they're trying to present it as a game, and it's just horrible. But that's the kind of that's the kind of scope that they're looking for is like how do they get into these kind of things, uh, at least from a government side.
3: Yeah,
4: Jason. Yeah, you
3: know I'm
4: sorry. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say those uh, those Navy guys I used to work with they they like to say. If it's a game, then it's characterized by free play and an unforced outcome, and there's no penalty sure. for failure. You know, a game, I mean, whether it's just recreational or whether you're actually using it for training purposes, you know, a game should encourage risk taking and, and initiative and experimentation and all those things that are going to get you either, either, you know, killed or in trouble if you, if you try it and screw up in the real world. That's why we use these tools. You know, and they'd say, look, if it's not if it's not free play and if the outcome, you know, is isn't forced, then it's not a game. It could be something else. It could be a simulation. It could be a test. It could be a planning exercise. It could be a validation exercise. It could be a demonstration. It could be that kind of that kind of scenario you're talking about um, there, Jason. You know, where no, there's really only one way, one right way to respond in this scenario. You know how you protect your, you know, your your cyber identity and that kind of stuff. But that's not really gaming. You know, gaming is different. You know, I mean, mean, it has to have objectives. It has to be kind of structured. But uh, it has all sorts of criteria that determine whether or not it's going to be useful to you. But but if it doesn't involve you know some some free play elements, um, then it's maybe something else.
2: Yeah, I I would agree with that. Uh, I would. I will. I will say this though. I am an incredible fan of the Kobayashi Maru technique, though. Uh, That. I, you get to learn a lot about people uh, when you when you give them a problem that they can't solve, and you just you just kind of watch them go trying to solve it. Uh, I'm a huge I'm a huge proponent of that uh, on occasion, and it's uh, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of goodness to that. Um, one of the other interesting applications that I've seen in terms of how do you use like uh, almost you know these gaming style techniques is actually kind of in the world of adult education. Uh, I've 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 been in some different programs before that were were very eclectic and and probably kind of surprising for, for how most people assume that uh, that you know, military folks are educated. So going through a series of workshops on improv comedy, you know, taught me effectively the world's greatest party games because that's really what those things are. There's different scenarios that, that you were brought about, that, that you're presented. And there's these, again, there's a very, uh, usually a very vanilla, but a very distinct set of rules or context that you you have to work around. And then you're trying to elicit human interaction. Uh, and we did that very specifically to train people or to make people better at communicating and understanding how to communicate with people in dynamic environments. Uh, and that was one of the kind of the most interesting things that I, I walked away with. And literally one of the textbooks we had uh, effectively could read like the world's most uh, complete and very dry way of describing 101 party games. Uh, but there was actually a learning objective to each one. There's, there was a skill that was being developed through each one and we were exercising a lot of our techniques through these games. Uh, and they're, they're quite fun. I mean, you, you do have a lot of fun with them. But there was a lot of, as, as Bill said, there was a lot of free play. It's designed as improvisational, as, dyna- as dynamic. Uh, and that was one of the best, uh, best sort of educational things that I experienced just as, as a one-off in terms of a, a given skill was going through that process. And that was actually really, really neat, neat for me. Uh, and I've seen very similar techniques used in other educational formats, particularly in the special education world, uh, which I'm, I'm pretty familiar with. Um, a lot of the techniques that in some of these like small group settings, you know, the game is basically the hook for, for young kids, for kids. Special ed kids versus like uh, neurotypical kids is absolutely no different. Uh, It's just how you present the material. And they would use a combination of either these analog or these like spoken games, if you will, uh, all the way down to board games, which teach a lot of things, taking turns, communicating, understanding basic rule-driven concepts. Um, And then there's also, as as kids get older, some fairly elaborate uh, learning that goes on as I'm watching my nine-year-old play games. And I'm able to make linkages into real world things and so does his uh so does his teachers for something simple as minecraft like like i i did not understand minecraft until my kid picked it up two years ago at the age of seven i'm fairly confident that he could like build a space a working space shuttle now just based on like his experiences in minecraft um but watching him do that and then in the real world watching him try to solve a problem He'll get, he'll get frustrated, then I can remind him, he's like, well, you know, how do you want to solve this? Like, let's think about how you were solving a problem in one of your games. And then you'll see this little light go on and he'll start working through literally a kind of a problem solving technique that he goes through in terms of how does he try different outcomes till, till he starts making progress in a given direction. And then he's, you know, he'll plateau for a minute, then he'll stop, he'll pull back and then he'll start applying other techniques to it. And I've watched him do that in any number of different environments. And a lot of that came from some of the games that he played, uh, A, for enjoyment, and B, actually that were assigned to him is like, hey, this is a game we would like you to play. And here's some of the things we want you to do in it. So those are some different techniques that I've seen that are you know kind of not necessarily military related. Uh, I was just kind of curious, has anybody seen other other, like maybe, you know, kind of, Non-military techniques or applications for either virtual or analog games.
0: It's actually interesting. You brought up Minecraft, uh, Jake. So my brother plays Minecraft, and he also played a game called Little Planet, which was a PS3 game that came out. You might remember it as kind of being that, like you know, build a. It's it basically like build a platforming level with these cute little, um, you know, sock po- sock puppet figures. And they'd bounce around. And you could make your levels and ramps and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um and that's kind of what people understood on the surface to be. And so, I, you know, I, I kind of fiddled with it and thought it was kind of fun, but my brother really took to it. And um, particularly in the the later titles, like Little Big Planet 2 and 3, um, I kind of walked in and I was like, oh, what are you working on? Because what he was doing was kind of this crazy thing. And he's like, oh, I'm building a calculator. I'm like, what? Um, and I found out that this game has, like, hardcore logic stuff built into it, like and, nor, if gates and he was effectively programming this massive right like mechanical calculator basically he had never taken a class on this he had never um, you know been formally taught but through playing this game and and picking up the basics of you know building levels and starting with little simple stuff his understanding of this was suddenly well beyond anything I possibly knew. And I've you know had a college education. He was still in like, you know, uh, high school. And it was just insane to see that just by playing this game and no formal education, he was putting together these very large and complex logic chains and effectively programming. Um, it was like analog mechanical programming, but he was still doing it with all of this crazy. stuff. it was fascinating to see that he had come so far and it was entirely for his own enjoyment through a game. In Minecraft is of a similar nature. They have the redstone system, which is also kind of effectively wiring together um, logic gates and yep. programs and that sort of thing. And it's 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 beyond me. I'm not a programmer. It's it's not my my thing. But just seeing these kids just take off with it and build these crazy things, I'm just like, wow. It's it's absolutely fascinating. And it's interesting because probably when they made these games, that was absolutely not the intention. It was just, we're going to build a very open-ended, flexible game, and people can take it where they want it to go but the end result was it, it provided a platform that was both entertaining and educational for people to learn these things moving forward. And it's just, I, I'm, it's fantastic. I, I love these open-ended building games because you see this kind of um, emergent, you know, learning come out of it. And it's, it's just fascinating.
3: Yeah. And I, uh, excuse me, I throw on top of that, that uh, you were talking about watching the kids start picking up this learning and problem solving and putting it to use in a practical sense in their, uh, daily lives as well. Um, and I know the, uh, the engineering and the the gating and all that is uh, the same kind of concept behind that problem solving. And that, that blended learning uh, of being able to take somebody who, let's say, wants to achieve a goal let's say in a game, I want to be really good at this thing. And then breaking down, well, what would it take for me to be good at this thing? Setting those goals, those long-term goals, and then looking at what Intermediate steps need to be taken. Those intermediate goals you end up doing, uh, building out to help you achieve your main objective. Uh, a lot of this, all of this, uh, goes in. Even the uh, Kobayashi Maru uh, thing you were talking about earlier, Jason. You know what was the what was the objective in that game? The objective in that game, according to Starfleet, if I correct me if I'm wrong, to learn how to take a defeat like that. You know, sometimes there's just nothing you can do. If I remember correctly, is uh, what they were looking for then.
2: Believe so. Although I will, I will defer to Soraya on this one. He is that—that that is correct. He is—he is. He is uh, there was there no one that knows more about anything Star Trek related than him.
0: Another interesting angle that I've actually been experimenting with—not uh, necessarily using gameplay, but rather reward loops that you see in games as a way to motivate people. So. Uh, short background of what I do so I'm a I'm the manager of the design department at a solar company and we we install solar systems on residential homes and so I'm in charge of a handful of designers who um, basically get uh, information from study evaluators they draw it up into CAD they design the electrical for it um, permit it uh, there's various different steps um, in what they do and just do the nature of how these things flow through permitting through different uh, jurisdictions you know getting customer approval sales approval that sort of thing um, Um, there's lots of small little parts that don't necessarily flow in, you know, you don't sit down and just do an entire project straight through, start to finish, then close it out. You might have these things floating around for a couple weeks. And so we were running into an issue where, uh, people were not quite getting, you know, all the little tidbits done and they'd kind of lose things and they'd get lost and they'd forget to do this one permit or they forget to correct that one thing for sales. And it was kind of becoming a problem. And so I was kind of looking at the group, and I I'm, it's a bunch of guys. They're all very competitive. I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder how we can turn this into something that's fun that encourages them to actually, you know, get this work done. And, you know, I didn't think it was going to work very well, but I just i, I kind of gave it a shot. And so what I did is I went and got, like, a stupid little, like, trophy. Like, you get, like, a trophy shop, and it was, like, you know, designer of the week or whatever on it. And I developed a point system where... Like doing a design was worth this many points, permitting was this worth this many points, you know, doing a sketchup for sales was worth this many points. And so everything that they did within their scope of work had a point value. And then I built an Excel chart with a graph that we put up on the screen on the wall. And then when, when they completed a task, they would enter in, you know, what they did and that would generate, you know, points and put it on their total. And then they could track in real time on the wall, like who is the leader currently at that time. And it just thought it'd be kind of a fun little thing to kind of, you know, keep keep them engaged. And what was really interesting is that, you know, towards the end of the week when we would kind of cut off the the, the points for that week and tally it up and see who you know who got the trophy, which is of no monetary value. There's absolutely nothing to gain that there's no money involved, there's no raise, there's nothing really um, to advance the career. It's just you get to have the stupid trophy on your desk. These guys were like in a fever to win this thing. It had of no real value other than basically bragging rights. And what I found is that towards the end of the week they would go digging through their workload to find every last little point they possibly could to, you know, put on the scoreboard because they were like all neck and neck and if hey, if I can do this one thing that I forgot to do, I will, you know, get that last point and win the trophy for the week. And it was a massive increase of productivity, like absurd beyond what you would expect. And it was I all like over. where your head's at. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like it was a completely worthless reward, has nothing of value. But the, comp, the, the competition of doing it caused them to dig very deep and increase the quality of their work significantly. And it cost the company nothing. I mean, it was like a $20 trophy. I just paid it for out of my own pocket. And that was it. And in the time spent to build the Google spreadsheet. And that's all it took. And so just using kind of that sort of reward loop, that level of competition had insane results, like I, I beyond what I possibly expected. It was fascinating. And that kind of got me thinking, like, wow, what else could we use this for? Can we use this kind of reward loop like in like a traditional classroom setting for kids? Like, you know, yes, you yes. get like skill points. for let, let, let me well put on it this sort of I, I don't
2: I don't know who invented the first game, but it's probably somebody who was competing in the, against another dude. Like, like that is the heart of what gaming ultimately is. And that's really the hook is is what you're describing is very much the core of things. You're either in a game, something that we would traditionally call a game, you are competing against either yourself, an environment or a situation or against another person. that That's really all that comes down to it. And, and those same, uh, all those traits that you're describing, that competitive nature, that drives people uh, in some really amazing ways. Uh, and, and that, that doesn't have to be, you know, it, that little dopamine hit you get when you do well at something like on a game or what you're not, what we would all consider like a video game, that little dopamine hit right there. That is exactly what you're looking for a lot of times. And that keeps people very, very engaged in whatever the, the objective that, you know, the, the educational objective or the learning objective or why ever, why, somebody just wants to do a thing so that that's a that's a really good that's a really good observation pokey and i i would suspect that that both nomex and bill would probably agree that like there's there's some aspect of competition that has to be present for a gaming scenario or a kind of a virtual training scenario or an education model to work
3: you're talking about the opportunity to win and fail is that what you're saying
2: absolutely (laughs) everybody wants to win. Nobody wants to fail. It's a, it's an incredible human motivator.
3: (laughs) Yeah. But a lot of that's just a uh, perspective, you know, kids, children want to, you know, win right now, you know, young kids want to win right now and they'll sacrifice pretty much anything to do it. You know, as you kind of mature though, you kind of realize that, Hey, you know, the reason I'm not winning, that there's a reason for it and I need to start working on those other little things to, you know, bring myself up to speed, put more effort into it, et cetera.
2: Yeah. Totally agree with that uh it's i mean i, I think in any scenario th- there's it, there's that sort of driver for like wanting to get better and sometimes that little bit of a you know kind of pseudo competitive overlay that that's sort of maybe the, the the catalyst for you know some bigger bigger gains that they can get once they kind of get past uh get past things you know that kind of initial phase
0: yeah, yeah absolutely and i think that the the key takeaway is that you know you can implement this into real world situations. and it doesn't necessarily have to be a ton of effort. You don't have to program you know some crazy digital interface to make it happen. You can literally buy a twenty dollars trophy and make a stupid excel spreadsheet and have lasting results based off of that. And I think it's it's fantastic what what Nomex and Bill are doing with their group and in trying to bring a lot of those concepts that we all experience in gaming to an actual very visceral real world application. I think it's, it's fantastic. It's something that people have not explored as much as they should have. And, you know, just in my little my little dabbling of of trying it out, it was incredible. So if someone really put a lot of time and effort into, you know, really developing a very hardcore, um, well designed system, I I can't even fathom what results you may get, but I, I sure as hell want to find out. So that's why I think what you what you guys do is just absolutely amazing i I really do hope that you can you know move forward and and teach the world some things that you know (laughs) would be really good to know because i think there's a lot to be learned here
3: yeah and you know the the really neat thing i was thinking about is you guys were talking about this as bill talking about the old analog systems and you know how how motivating that is and it's not like that system has uh outlived its usefulness far from it it's becoming more and more useful as more more people in this nascent technology start to see all the interlinkings of all these things, of all these systems, of all these games, the way they can be utilized uh, at the workplace, at home, wherever it may be, to help them achieve their goals. And, you know, that, the important thing to remember is it's still a very nascent technology. You know, we think we're kind of high speed now, but man, you know, this is going uh, in the next few decades is i I, i'm really excited for it uh what we'll be able to do with the technology that's out there
0: yeah man i think you've you've got a great thing going for you and you know i'm we're we're happy to be kind of a part of that and help promote you and you know i think it's going to be it's going to be really cool i'd love to kind of retouch on this topic again um maybe more in depth with some like specifics that you guys are actually working on but uh you know i think we're, we're looking pretty good on time here so do you kind of want to give a quick shout out again to you know your i think you primarily operate out of discord channels, is that correct yeah uh we have the uh, dar
3: discord channel that's up at our twitch feed you look up the uh, direct action resources uh you'll see our twitch feed down there we've got you guys biomassed up on that now as well um so uh that's a best way to get to us another way you can get uh, www.directactionresources.com you need to make sure you put that www in there for some reason uh, But that'll get you to our website that'll also link you to our discord etc
0: yeah i think it's fantastic man so you know we'll we'll of course get a link to that in the description and you know again people you should really check out what what these guys over at dar are working on it's 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 really really cool stuff and if you thought this discussion was interesting uh, i think that you'll find that what they're doing is definitely an evolution of that and it is worth your time to take a look at so was there anything else you guys wanted to touch on before we kind of go into some shout outs here yeah it's open
2: mic night guys go ahead
0: yeah if you want to talk a little bit more about dar that's fine you know it's it's you got the mic no I wanted to hear more from Bill
4: <laughs> <laughs> well you know I'll just say this uh, the thing that I that I have found just universally true about about gaming applications in in, in the world that that we operate in and that we all, Romex and Jason and I came out of in the tactical world, is that gaming applications are, uh, uh, they're really tricky uh, to extract value from them and not, and not just turn them back into a recreational activity. Uh, to get value, there's, there's a whole lot of, of questions of design and fit. And sometimes when we try to adapt existing systems that come out of the hobby or recreational side, we get sort of a bad fit with with what we're trying to to accomplish in terms of of, of training and teaching but uh you know there, there's a there's a lot of thought that has to go into you know fitting the fitting the tool fitting the instrument to the purpose you know because we're all about um we're all about teaching people to think tactically um as individuals and, and as members of teams and uh, there are some applications that that make that easy and that and that you know really do allow people to learn those basic lessons without uh, Without a lot of pain penalty, and that's that's what we're about. Uh, but it's uh, it, it, it's not always self-evident. It's not always easy.
3: Yeah, that kind of rolls into that reality-based training, which is a bit of a gaming model as well. Yeah,
4: true, yeah, true enough. I mean, that's you know, that's uh, that's getting out there with you know non-lethal firearms that you know fire die die marking cartridges that that uh, that sting and raise a welt when you get hit. You know, and and uh, and we're actually running tactical scenarios on the ground, feet on the ground, with people. And, uh, and that in itself is a, is a, you know, it's, it's a gaming exercise, but it's, you know, it's not like going out and playing a paintball game, you know, where it's ha ha, you know, it, it, you know, when you do something wrong, there's a pain penalty and there's a certain amount of embarrassment and there's a, a, a real high learning curve when you realize just what, just how did I screw up that I got myself shot. And, um, you know, you, you really hope that people can learn that in a place where the, uh, uh you know, the pain is minimal and the, and the, the learning outstrips the, uh, the the consequences
2: yeah i I think that's that's probably a really good analogy in terms of just looking at uh, what's the difference between using a gaming technique in an educational model uh versus having a game a paintball game is a game it is a match uh if you're if you're using like munitions or something like that having been struck by those before they hurt like a bastard uh and that's a whole different sort of you know that is actually a a tool that you're using, uh, or that's a vehicle for learning, so to speak. I think there's a lot, I think there's really a lot to that. Um, I think Bill's comment that gaming techniques can be used for a lot of things, but they can also be misused as well. I think that's absolutely accurate. And one thing I would kind of offer in that, in that world is, uh, I, 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 joked about the, you know, sort of the, the network, uh, network security training that you have to do, uh, you know, once a year in my, in my line of work, that is a good example of somebody trying to take a game like format and use it as a way of communicating to people. And again, kind of generationally like me, Nomex and, and Bill are, 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 you know, kind of one, a, a kind of a different age bracket than uh, Zell and Pokey and, and then bait who we normally have on the show. He's, he, you know, he's even a different, a third age bracket. Um, And we absorb information differently. And using digital gaming techniques or digital interactive techniques uh, means different things to different groups of people based on their circumstances. Uh, So I think one thing that I do see periodically is trying to cater very heavily to that millennial and below crowd. And they'll, they'll like, hey, let's do this more free form. Let's have, you know, like digital interaction. Let's, you know, turn it into turn this thing or this educational experience into something that could feel almost almost like a game. But the educational experience, or really, the educational outcome they're driving for does not uh, lend itself to what they're to the vehicle they're using. I, I have seen that a couple in a couple different places. It's not it's not overly prevalent. But it's, I think, a good example of how some of these things might get, uh, you know, perhaps misused. I think that, I think the way Bill framed it is, is probably uh, pretty because, spot if on one, in that.
4: One way, if you know, if there's a way to yeah. distinguish to, to, to tell the difference between between, a, you know, a gaming recreational activity and and something that's being applied for, for learning is simply what happens when the game's over, right? Because when we finish when we finish a game and we, and yep. we have some kind Absolutely. of win lose or, or ranking outcome. I mean, our, our our tendency is to you know is, is to high five and, and you know shoot the shit a little bit and walk away. But if you're lun- if you're using it for training purposes, that's when the work begins because then then, then you got to sit down and you got to hot wash it and you got to say, all right, what happened? How did I react? Um, you know, what were the interactions between the players or the sides of this thing? You know, what were the decision points and how did we make those decisions? And you know, the the decision that I made that worked out this time. Is that something that I can take into the real world and say, when I face a situation like that, I can try the same thing and it'll work? Or was it just a, was it just a crazy roll of the dice that caused it to succeed? All the real work of learning in a training environment comes after the play is over. Absolutely.
3: And, yeah, absolutely agree with that. And that's why those uh, after action reviews are so important, those hot washes. Is to be able to get in there and, you know, not only does it let you look at, take a realistic look at what you've done, it lets the rest of the team take a look at what you've done and help you find those areas you can improve on. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things we're good at and, you know, to get better, you got to eliminate the things you're not so good on the things you really do need to uh, improve on. And those AARs are invaluable to not just help you understand your role as an individual, what you need to improve on, but your role in that team, what can you do to improve your role in that team? Because it all comes back to that teamwork, you know, listening to that commander's intent, making sure that, you know, you're, Achieving those objectives. And uh, this is a, a just a beautiful way to do that. And on that note, you know, again, I'd, I'd look back at, you know, this nascent technology. It's so new, so many different things developing right now, so many different approaches. And I, I would say, in relationship to where it's not being used, you know, it, it's always going to happen. You're always going to have somebody in some industry uh, that is just called a, a misuse of, if you will, an inappropriate use of the technology. And you're always going to have that. You're always going to have, but at the same time, when you have that, you do have people pushing in different directions, seeing what this technology can do. So that in itself isn't a horrid thing, long as people aren't, you know, flocking to it and thinking they're actually doing something with it that they're not. But uh, I, I like to see the diversity, uh, and, you know, that even means the good and the bad, because there's still a lot of room open there out in the market for the good stuff.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's pretty well spot on in terms of that. Um, okay, well, I, I guess... You know, like I said, I I think Pokey hit it. We're we've kind of talked around a lot of this. It's it's actually kind of interesting. I'm curious, uh, and and I'd be interested to hear, hear really from Bill on this one. You know, probably initially, like you you definitely of out of all of us are the the least quote unquote gamer so to speak in terms of like you know what most of our audience listens to is like you know the, kind of that classic, you know, sort of you know guy 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 in plants, you know playing a video game. Uh, What's yeah, your mother's general, basement
3: don't forget the mother's basement yeah, that,
2: that's true with cheetos uh what's what would your general observation be about what when somebody says video games or people that play video games what's kind of your initial reaction to to that in your head like what's your your like 10 second assessment of like what would that look like in your head i'm kind of curious about what stereotypes or at least what's your your thought process, what does that look, I look at like that. Now?
4: I look at that, you know, as yeah. an old guy. And like I was telling you, uh, when we were talking earlier, you know, the only reason that, you know, that I'm not sitting, sitting down with a, you know, in my sweats with a bag of Cheetos is that I, you know, I live out in the, out in the country in the Rocky mountain West with, uh, with, with very low, uh, very low speed internet. Uh, uh, you know, or I would be more active in the, in that, uh, kind of gaming today. So, uh, you know, but, I've had enough. Uh, I've had enough experience of it. Certainly, you know, through my life, you know, all the way up from you know the old, you know, the old board game era through you know miniatures and computer-assisted games and and uh, you know in computer gaming you know, of various sorts, and then all the professional stuff on top of that. I mean, I have a I I got a real real healthy respect for the uh, for the value of of just about any form of gaming that throws challenges at people and 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 forces them within a within a structure of of rules and and a set of conditions that they can learn and master um, to to make decisions and and work towards outcomes. I just love that. And and you know my experience has been you know with folks that are gosh you know young enough to be my children probably help some of them are probably you know young enough now to be my grandchildren. Um, they're learning those same lessons, you know. And it's a it's a it's a hugely leveraged life tool for a lot of people involved in this kind of gaming. You know, as long as they get out of the basement occasionally. Yeah,
3: that's the key to get out of the basement,
4: you know? yeah. <laughs> at least
2: occasionally. Now that, and, and that's that's always interesting to hear because, you know, like I said, uh, I, I normally have to play the, uh, you know, as they say, play the old guy on the show. And that's uh, I, one of the things that we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago when, uh, uh, when Nomex was on. I'm probably at age 42. I am that probably initial generation, probably about where Nomex is you could in theory have had a video game system in your home or with reasonable access to it pretty much all of the, your entire life that you can remember, uh, you know, all the way back from, you know, from the, you know, Atari 2600 Commodore war 64, you know, playing pong and that kind of stuff all the way to what we have now, which is, uh, you know, phenomenal in terms of what it can deliver in terms of interactive and immersive experiences. So that's, that, that's always how I kind of look at these things when we talk about gaming and what I, you know, what I've determined is, you know, kind of like I mentioned earlier is like a lot of people like particularly in the, you know, the older folks in the military, so to speak, they view the word gaming as an unserious or uh, unprofessional term. I, I think it's interacting through digital media or interacting through, you know, probably more so now than, in the, you know, kind of the, you know, other forms of games that that were probably, you know, we, you know, I grew up on, uh, those things are just pervasive in our society to the point where, you know, like a cell phone, like when I was in college, nobody had cell phones. When I graduated college was when I bought my first cell phone. When I was a Lieutenant in the army and I was in Korea and everybody there had cell phones. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. I was like, nobody, nobody walking around generally where I went to, went to college at in Texas owned cell phones. That was not a thing. And when, you know one year later when I'm in Korea as a, as a brand new lieutenant in the army, every like homeless people on the street had cell phones. blew my mind and, and I, I just see like video games uh, or gaming so to speak, particularly video games is just being much more uh, a fabric of kind of how things are nowadays.
4: Well, yeah. no, 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 I think you know, the, um, you know, you know, the la- the last piece about professional applications here, uh, the last fellow that I worked for before I retired from the government was uh, a retired Marine colonel that had commanded Seventh Marines through Fallujah, um, very squared away guy and absolutely brilliant fellow. And and there was a point that he made there. He said every form, every form of of training. Like we're talking about here, every, every form of gaming, every form of, of decision-making training that you can put somebody through has really basically one goal. So that in a crisis, when, when, when the brain is in the process of shutting down, when you're faced with a crisis, you don't look at it and, and freeze like a deer in the headlights. Your response to that crisis is, oh, I've seen this before. I know what not, I know what not to do, and I got a pretty yeah. good idea of what'll work here because I've done it twenty times, thirty times, fifty times. Maybe not with bullets flying, but I've done this. I've seen this situation. I recognize it, and I got a pretty good idea of what's going to work. Which brings us right back to orientation and Oodaloo.
2: <laughs> yep. Nah no, I, I think you guys are about right, man. So I, I think we've covered kind of a, a pretty pretty broad spectrum of topics in terms of like you know what. Really what our to- what our topic was tonight, ultimately, I think in retrospect is what is a game, you know, and, and how is how is it used in different venues? Uh, and it's probably a conversation we can like, continue to smash over for quite some time. Uh, I think what we'll, what we'll do is we'll kind of go ahead and transition back to, uh, you know, like knocking out some shout outs and uh, any kind of saved rounds. And we will uh, we'll probably table this one uh, for the show tonight. But we're definitely going to have to have you guys back on at some point and we can pick this up. Uh, or at some point, what we really got to do is we got to get we got to get Bill involved in a no kidding video game that he can play. And then we can then we can get the uh, the sage wisdom of somebody who's now being introduced to to this in a much more uh, entertaining way, as opposed to a professional way.
4: Oh, boy, that, that, that'd be the put up or shut up moment, wouldn't it?
2: Yes, it would. But that's OK, too. We have those here yes. here on occasion. So uh, yeah. I'm going to pass this one back over to Pokey and we'll uh, we'll run through some shout outs.
0: All right. Sounds good, Jay. Yeah. I mean, guys, it was a great discussion. It's something that, you know, like I I said before, it's it is a topic that we could go on for hours about and I think be very interesting. But uh, for right now, we're going to table this one. So uh, like kind of like what Jay described at the beginning of the show, um, we tend to do like a shout out at the end of the day, uh, end of the show, just whoever you want, you know, a family member, a friend, the guy you saw at the corner of the street. So we'll give you a, we'll have you go last you can think of something if you uh, aren't ready. So I'll start it off. Um, My style is going to go actually to the team that produces the game Paladins. And Paladins is kind of a game that's uh, similar to Overwatch, but it's a free-to-play game. And it's one that I play with my brother on occasion uh, after I get home from work for a couple hours. And uh, they had recently put in a system which was arguably kind of pay-to-win, where you would buy... um, you know, card packs and it would allow you to level up and people very much (laughs) reached out against this because it was in the shadow of Star Wars Battlefront 2. And there was a Reddit uh, campaign by the players where their way of protesting this was to draw the most horrifically bad fan art possible um, and then just post it as fan art constantly. And it was basically like this whole thing is stupid, why are you doing this? Well, Paladins went back and removed the system saying, yeah, we screwed up, um, and they actually reverted back to a system that is even better than what it started as, so it's a good net positive, but kind of as a, you know, knock in the head, are bad, they took a lot of that really horrifically bad fat art and actually put it in the game as like sprays, you can like spray on the wall, um, kind of as like this Forever reminder that we're never going to do that again because, you know, we, we heard you and that it, it was a bad idea and we fixed it. So, you know, kind of shout out to them for having, you know, the ability to make fun of themselves and kind of some, some humility. So uh, good stuff. Um, Zell, you're up, man. Shout out.
1: I'm going to give my shout out to uh, Bait, uh, who, who could make it today on the show, uh, our very own member of the Tide Pod generation
2: um that's it
0: (laughs) i'm using that next time
2: (laughs) that that is his new video game that's his new video game name tide pod oh boy
0: (laughs) good stuff all right jay you're up man
2: uh that's a that's a tough act to follow so so this is generally how these things go by the way zell struggles with an opening and he usually doesn't have a close and then he, he comes out of nowhere with that. It's like off the top rope with, with that shot on bait, which by the way is, is classic. And for the record, all of the kids who are eating Tide Pods, suddenly they want to be experts on gun control. I, I wish I, I'm absolutely flabbergasted by at some point. It's total different total different topic of discussion though. So uh, my shout out, let's see, I'm going to reach into the random life events. Shout out today. And I'm going to give a shout out to the guy I was in a sauna with uh, after I was swimming. So I've swam about two and a half miles a day, got out. And then usually after a lot of times after a workout, I'll, you know, I'll try to get in the sauna for, you know, crank it up to about 170 degrees for about 20, 20 to 30 minutes. So I'm sitting in there and this guy comes in and he's having a conversation with somebody who's in the locker room and they're talking about the, the thing that I care least about in the month of March, which is basketball. Like I give n- like not a wit about uh, college basketball. And so he's, he's behind the, like the kind of the glass, the glass door shield of the sauna. And he's having to yell at the top of his lungs at his buddy. Who's toweling off, uh, you know, a- after his shower about this intricate discussion about all these different teams, you know, the, I, I guess there's 64 teams. I don't know shit about March madness other than I think it's ridiculous. So shout out to that guy like, who made my sauna, my 20-minute sauna, unbearable. I could deal with the heat, but not that. And, uh, and if you've never been in a sauna, you can't really there's, – there's nothing you can do because you can't, can't bring an iPod in. You can't do anything because it, you know, it fries it all. Uh, so shout out to that guy for, uh, for being a, a, a particularly special kind of uh, sauna neighbor today.
0: Oh, that's great. Uh, good stuff. All right, Nomex, you're up, man. All right. Uh,
3: I'll turn away from that darkness and just say, don't be that guy. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, my first shout out to Bill. Bill, I would really appreciate you coming out here this evening. Uh, thank you very much. And then my second shout out here. I don't know if that's loud or not. but I do want to give that to the biomass team. Appreciate you guys uh, hooking back up with us and uh, giving us a platform to try to reach out and
0: touch people. Sounds good, man. We're, we're very glad to have both of you. It was a good discussion. I'm glad you could join
4: us for it. Uh, Bill.
0: You're up. Do you have a shout out for
4: the, the group here? Yeah, I'm just going to throw it right back to you guys at Biomass. It's been a real, real interesting conversation. And, uh, you know, as soon as you guys can get me a geosynchronous satellite over Northwest Wyoming, I'll be, uh, uh, I'll be in the mix with you. ball's <laughs> uh, back in your cart. <laughs> Put up or shut up. Get out of
0: Good stuff, guys. You know, again, it was really great to have you. And I think it's a topic that we really want to touch on again at some point, And, uh, It's the start of a a good relationship for some good topics. So uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, as usual, everyone, if you want to be on the show, if you want to be a guest or you have any good topics you want us to talk about, do let us know, biomass.com. You can get all our contact information there. Um, But, yeah, I hope you all had a safe weekend, and we'll see you next week.